So I love, I know I led worship, but I love where we went in worship today. I love that Jesus gets all the glory. At the end of the day, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about what we do. It's about Jesus. And he loves us. And he was generous with us. He gave his life. God gave the only thing that cost him, and it was Jesus Christ. So can we just close our eyes for a second? I feel like let's not just miss a moment where God is, I feel, pushing that thing in our hearts again. God, we thank you that you you are king of kings. You are sovereign over all creation. God, you you are absolutely 100% in charge. Father, we thank you for who you are in our lives. We thank you, Jesus, that you came and you rescued us. We did not deserve it. We were sinners, stuck in our sin, had no way of getting out. But Jesus, you made a way. You are reconciling all things. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth one day. We're going to be your subjects. And we're going to reign with you forever. Father, but let us start now. Let us start in this meeting, in this moment, and say, Jesus, we surrender to you. We surrender to the inevitable. Jesus is coming back. He's coming to bring judgment. But he's coming back with a new heaven and a new earth. And he's calling us his sons and daughters right now. So, Father, we celebrate you this morning and give you all the honor that's due your name. Amen. I'm definitely feeding back. You can bring me. I'm going to probably preach from there. So, there we go. So, we're starting a new series today called The, I don't know if it's there. Okay, there it is. The Generous Life. As you can see, we've got a cool little hipster tattoo in the hand. I'm not sure if that's a guy or a girl, but we're not sure. But as this is, uh, for me, I, f- I felt God laid this on my heart. And we're going to do this for the next, probably until early April. But just looking, first of all, at a generous God and how that affects our lives and how we become a generous people. And how absolutely everything is changed from inside of us as we begin to gaze upon Jesus, the magnificent one. Like we did in worship this morning. He I I think I sung it or said it, but he is in his own category. He is not, the Bible says, God is not like man. And somehow there's a modern move in the church, and I've seen it amongst my friends, where they are trying to make God in their own image. So they're like, God won't be like that. It doesn't feel right to me. That's absolutely where heresy starts from. Someone said this, they said, if you take a half truth and you make it a whole truth, there's, there's going to be no truth in the end. So we need to look at God of who he is, of who he's revealed to us through scripture, what he's said about what he's done and who's, who he's conquered. So no matter what we see on the earth today and around us, and we see there's turmoil, we see there's wars, we see there's rumors of wars, we, we know that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. We don't know kings too much in, this, in, the, in our society, but he is the president of presidents. He is he's the sheikh of sheikhs. He's absolutely in charge. And 
I want to start when I'm talking on this series and not dive straight into are we called to be a generous people, which we are, but I wanted to look at how generous God is. How everything about the, the, our lives and, and what we walk into as followers of Jesus, we absolutely did not deserve, but Jesus, by His grace, poured it out upon us. And I'm going to be talking through what it means to be generous. We're going to be getting guys up here who are way more experienced than me, who are way more even generous than I am, believe it or not. I don't know if that is possible. No, kidding. And I'm going to, get, I'm going to interview them. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to say, what is it that drives generosity in your heart? And I, I can guarantee it's going to come back to one point. It's not a principle. It's Jesus. Proverbs 11, out of the message, 24, says the world of, a ge- of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy, say stingy, gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly br- blessed. Those who helped, uh, help others are helped. And I think if we get this principle in our lives and we get who Jesus is in our lives, Giving is going to become an easy byproduct because we're so in love and enamored by our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Some synonyms, and I think I'm going to put them up here. Some synonyms for, for generous, generosity is big-hearted, bountiful, charitable, free, free-handed, free-hearted, open, open-handed, unselfish, unsparing, lavish, hospitable, big, great-hearted, large-hearted, and compassionate. That is who God is. It's he, and we, my life is to become more like Jesus every day. And Jesus showed that on earth. Antonyms are the opposite. Small, frugal. People, I think in the world, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a virtue to look, oh, you're very frugal with your money. That's the opposite of the kingdom. It's not unwise. We must be wise with our money, which we're going to get some wise men and women that are going to come talk about how they're wise with their money and what, with what they've done. But we are called to be lavish. We're called to be unsparing. Uh, it says thrifty, grasping, grasping, hoggish, cheap. Isn't it the worst when you go out for lunch with someone and you know that you're going to pay? Because it's just going to be... God, ah, and you know, like the, the bill comes and sits on the table and they look away or they mysteriously need the toilet in that moment. And I, I think we need to get to the point where, where Jesus, we're so, Jesus becomes so part of our lives and so, uh, he is so the focus of everything that giving just, it's a, it's a byproduct. I, I can't really afford this now, but I'm going to pay. I'm going to give in. I'm going to be generous. I'm not going to be the stingy dude. And... Um, so, I want to tell you a little bit of my story. Can you turn in your Bibles to Acts 4, verse 32? Go read the whole of Acts 4. It's a powerful, powerful part of Scripture, but I'm just going to read a portion of it today. While you're turning there, um, I want to tell you something of my story. Last year, God, in about three months, radically blessed me. Some of you know the story. I was, I was blessed with a car I was blessed financially by some people, some bigger, some smaller amounts. It hasn't happened since, and I'm praying, Jesus, let it happen again. 
And it, and it didn't happen in the first couple of years of our church plant when Stahl and I were literally living hand to mouth and had like very little money to spare anything. And, uh, but we, we still tried our best to be as generous as we could. And, uh, and, it's, and I felt God in that moment, He was teaching me to be generous. And God often teaches us how to be generous by breaking a poverty spirit over your life. And I think I had a sense of poverty spirit. I'll give you an example. We got married at the Ritz-Carlton in JBR. Ooh. I honestly, I I almost have arguments with Stala saying, we can't afford this. This is too good for us. We don't deserve this. That is a poverty spirit. That is living under what God has called you. And so, so for me, there's going to be moments in your life where you're going to walk through, where you have very little, and there's going to be lots of times where you're going to have lots. The contentment doesn't come from what you have or what you don't have. It comes from your consistency and your relationship with Jesus. So God had to break stuff over my life. We got engaged. I, I spent my last couple of thousand dirhams on Stala's wedding ring. I literally went and drew it out. I had enough. I, I had the engagement ring and I went and bought it. Proposed to her. I had about 700 dirhams left and I thought I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil her that night. And then I had zero. Um, and, uh, but the amazing thing is that when we, when, we put the, when we put God's principles right in our lives, we're going to say, cool, well, we're not going to just keep dating. We're actually going to commit to marriage, and in the Old Testament, uh, and even up until Jesus' day, when, when you got engaged, it was as good as you were married, although you didn't consummate your marriage or sleep together yet, but it was, although it was very tough, the perf- if I'm being 100% honest, once you engage, you know engaged people, come on, let's be honest, once you engage, it's like, we're almost there, okay, but you have to hold back and go for a run. Um, that's... The Bible says flee from ungodliness. And that's what I had to do many times. I got so fit. I was thin at my wedding. I'll tell you what. I was like so skinny because just when that moment came, I was like, Jesus, take it away. Anyway. Flee from sin. It's the best way to get fit. Hey, Hanley. I don't know where I was. And then, so I had no money. And uh, but God, I, I would I would phone Dubai ninety two, um, and I would win prizes. So we had I had nowhere to take her on on Valentine's Day. I thought the, the thing came up. I was driving in my car. Those days they weren't really too strict about dri- driving and, and and playing on your phone. So I was like, oh cool. So I phoned them up. Phoned Dubai ninety two. Get straight in. I just said, listen, even if I get this question wrong, I've just got engaged. I have no money. Please give me the. Uh, and I, and I won it. We won like a thousand dirhams to go spend at some hotel for Valentine's Day. The, about a, two weeks later, another competition David, came for David Gray, and he was one of my favorite musicians, still is. And I was like, oh, I want to go. I had no money. Phone Dubai 92 was the first caller in, and I won it. And it was just a crazy season. I, I, again, God just does those things to show that he's a good father, that out of love he gives. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus loved you and I so much that he gave the only thing that could cost him. Because God pretty much invented everything, okay? We can say that. He did. He's God. He's 100%. Everything came in and through him. It says creation was made through him. 
And he gave the thing that cost him, his, his only begotten son. Amazing. God gives because he loves. And there's the story, um, and I asked Tyler for her perspective of when we were given this car. And I, guys, honestly, I believe God wants to bring blessing over your lives. I 100% believe. We went through a season of it. So don't look at us, ah, oh, it's just because you're the pastor. I'm like, no, no, no. It's for every single person, every single child of God who believes in him, is faithful to him. And um, so Stala went uh, to go look at the, the car that, that we were given, and uh, this person came in at the same time. They kind of didn't work out. Uh, they didn't, like, it wasn't planned. And as this person walked in, she said she felt a wave of, she says the only way to explain it was love and generosity that entered into the room. And there's something happens that when we start opening our hands, a spirit of generosity gets released over our lives and over this church. And I want to be a radically generous church. We've, we've made a plan this year, uh, a goal to give away a half a million dirhams. We're going to live off the rest, but we want to give away half a million dirhams. I don't know how far we are. We're probably on about eight. So we've got a long way to go. But Jesus, I think he honors that. He honors, he honors that, that heart that just wants to give. And I think the thing that's, uh, in, in many ways, just been open to you guys, that's kept the finances, like for us to be able to pay salaries every month and, and pay for this venue and all of this stuff, is obviously your faithful giving, but we as a church have given always. So we have to be always, always be this conduit. And those of you who give radically, you know that you can never outgive God with your lives, with your money, with absolutely everything. If you just learn how to just say, God, it's yours. My life, it's yours. It's Jesus, you're Lord of all, even my wallet. You're Lord of all, my life, my kids, the birthday parties that happen on a Friday. You are Lord of all. I will sacrifice smaller things for greater things because you are more important than anything else. So let's read the scripture. 4 verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Say one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. That is the goal. And at times we've, we've you know, we've, we've got and people up here, people are struggling with stuff. We say, cool, we're going to take up an offering. They need this for that. We're talking to Tletle. This church helped pay for her brother's funeral. Uh, amazing. And we want to do more of that. We want to be radical in our generosity. We gave an offering not to... This is all of us together, so I'm not like stealing our reward. As a, like, this is us that we can be. This is before God. Cool, we've done it. We, we were able to give um, the guy from Vision Rescue, Biju. Uh, we were able to give him a, a whole week's offering. I, I want to be more like that, guys. I, I, I feel like as we do that, God just goes, cool, there's a church I can trust to just display my glory. It says, there was not a needy person among them. For as many who were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. That is radical. So Stala's dad leads a church called 
uh, Bryanston New Covenant Church. Uh, it's in Bryanston in Johannesburg, quite a wealthy area. But when they planted, they started with 30, 40 people. And um, I think the story goes is that they needed a new, a new building. So this small group of people started to sell property, started to sell cars, started to sell these things and laid it at the leader's feet and says, listen, this is for the greater good. This is for the greater kingdom. And I think there, we've, once we've hit that, God's just going to pour out his revival, which we'll see now. This is revival. And they laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each who had need. Need. I'm going to stop there and I'm going to read the rest later. But um, just preceding this passage, you had John and uh, Peter, they, they went and they healed the crippled man. The, the religious of the day did not like that. They said, why, how did you do this? They said, it's by Jesus. They basically preached to the religious of the day. The, the religious of the day gets super threatened. They get to a point where they, they, uh, they almost kind of arrested and, and they, they, they stand before them. And they said, you must not preach Jesus anymore. And Peter gets up and says, we cannot, but we have to do this. We have to preach Jesus because we've seen him resurrected. We've seen what he promised come to pass. So we have to preach the resurrection of Jesus. We have to preach his power in his power and by his power. And it's amazing because this mirrors a text in Acts 2.42, which Stalin spoke about. And it says they devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. It says there was no needy among them. This is what God's new covenant community looks like. Where Israel left off and they got into religion and they got into a whole bunch of practices without the presence of God. You had, you had 400 silent years. So you had the last prophet speak. Then there was 400 years until John the Baptist. It's because they got into religion and a whole bunch of to-do lists before God. Then actually relationship first that God just goes, cool, I'm going to shut the heavens. John comes. Ashes in Jesus. Jesus gets up in Luke 4 and he, and he reads out of Isaiah 61. He says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to etc., etc., etc. I can't remember the whole scripture. But he gets and he closes the scroll. And Jesus, in that one moment, announces the year of Jubilee. Now, the year of Jubilee comes out of Deuteronomy, I think, 15, and it speaks about that every seven years there was a canceling of debts across Israel. So if someone owed you money, there was cancelling of debts. You would cancel other debts. And it was a, it was a, it was a picture, a, a, a full, kind of full picture of what Jesus was ultimately going to do. Jesus comes, dies on the cross in our place, and he cancels all of our debt forever. Jesus comes, he reads the scroll of what he's going to do, he closes it, and we enter now into the age of grace and the year of Jubilee. We don't have to wait for a coming something. We don't have to wait for revival. We are in revival. And I think the moment we, our minds begin to twist, and uh, sorry, not twist, our minds begin to change and realize that God, what, He has won every single thing that we need to, to walk out life and godliness, to see our cities change. God is not interested in growing a church that might surprise you. God is interested in changing society. And I want to, honestly, for me, I, I want us to be uncomfortable in, in moments in this church. I, I was listening to a preach uh, th th this week, and this guy says, we tend to forget that Jesus is seated, seated on the throne, and he sends us. But so often we come and sit on a Friday, and we try to send Jesus. And he's, that's not the way it works. 
Jesus is seated on the throne. All authority, all power over every single part of creation has been given to him. He says, now therefore go make disciples. Go disciple nations. Go make nations follow after me. And we've seen it happen in pockets of history. You have the Welsh revival where 100,000 people were saved. Where they got to the point where they were closing pubs. They were closing nightclubs. They were closing these things because people were so in love with Jesus. We don't have to wait for those moments. We can live in that now. For me, this is challenging. I don't know about you. There's people in the church who live like this. I can tell you right now, there's people in the church who live with that radical generosity. But I don't believe it's meant to be the 5 or the 10%. I believe it's all of us. Catching hold of this generous God who loves us with everything. When love... My, my wife wrote this to me, and I love what she said. So this is quoting Starla. When love for others is our, is our motivation, there'll be no hesitation in living a generous life. God loved us. God loves people. We love people. We give everything for Him. It's, it's, it's a super easy equation. Then it comes to um, verse 36. It says, Thus Joseph who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and, and, and bought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, just to give you a little bit of a story of Barnabas. Barnabas was a Levite, as it says. He's from Cyprus. I think it says that as well. Um, and then he ended up selling a piece of land. If you look into verse 5, and we've got kind of verse 4, verse 5. In the, in the original Bible, there was no breaks. It's not like a different story. It says here, but a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept himself some of the proceeds and brought only part and laid it at the apostles' feet. There was a crazy moment that doesn't happen much in Scripture, but he lied and then he died. And uh, he basically said, cool, I'm going to pledge this. But I think this is, you can't look at this as, well, God's going to do that all the time because I think half of us would drop dead, um, including myself. And I think what happened is that God was doing something so sovereign and, and almost setting up a new community, a new temple, and, and understanding that this is the most important thing that is happening. He just said, I cannot let that kind of thinking infect the revival that is happening. God was doing something unique. But I love the story of Barnabas because it comes out and he, he's radically generous and he walks into an incredible calling. And I believe I, the generosity of, our, of what God, with what God has given us opens up the calling of God over our lives. You see it throughout Scripture. And Barnabas comes along, he sells a, a field, and he is the guy, and you can go look later in Acts 9, Paul, who was the persecutor of the church, he, was this, uh, he wrote most of the New Testament, but before that he was like the worst sinner, basically would stand by, not even get his hands dirty, he would hold the coats of those who were stoning killing and slashing Christians. He would approve of that. God radically meets him um, uh, on, on the road to, can't remember where, Damascus, and uh, a light shines on his face like this thing is right now. God blinds, blinds him. He comes and he, he, he meets the resurrected Christ. His life is radically changed forever. But there's no one, people were still scared of him because he was like the, the, the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the worst of the worst because he, was, he, was, he had this religious spirit. I don't know if you've seen a religious spirit in Acts. It hates the life of God. 
It hates things that go against their rules and their ways. And you can see that, and it's crept into some parts of Christendom, and it's in many other religions, and that's why there's persecution. It's the religious spirit that has been around for thousands of years. And um, Paul ends up meeting Jesus, meets, meets the resurrected Christ, gets radically changed, gives his life to Jesus, gets baptized. He was blind, his eyes was, he, uh, opened, etc., etc. And uh, the only guy who had the guts to go and speak to him and bring him to the apostles was Barnabas. Barnabas was the man who brought through Paul. And I just, I think what an incredible calling this, this man had. He was the son of encouragement, which, and I've got friends who are very encouraging. Like, uh, there's a guy who's coming to preach in our church soon. His name's Dave Wallen. Some of you may know him. I'll be standing here about to lead worship. I haven't even kind of struck the first chord. And he goes, you're doing so well, Dan. I'm like, I haven't done anything. He goes, but you're doing so well. And he's so genuine. You're like, and if I look at, 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 at the people that are behind him, he has released, I think, like 30, 40 church plants across the world because he encourages people. He encourages people. I want to be a son of encouragement. I want to be a Barnabas. But it's amazing where Barnabas starts. He's like, I'm going to be radical with my giving. I'm going to be radical with my words. I'm going to be radical with my life. I was a rich man, a rich Levite. I was, I was a descendant of, of, of the, the, the best of the best in Israel. But he gave that up and he says, oh, that's nothing to me because I want to follow after Jesus and I'll do whatever it takes. And they, they go on the first missionary journey. He was in a church, Antioch, where it says that they were first called Christians. So here you have a man who comes and he's, he basically is, is changing the landscape of, of, of the known world, where they were idol worshipping, where it was about gods and demigods and all that stuff. These two men, Paul and Barnabas, went out two by two and literally changed nations. And it started from a place of generosity. We have in our hearts... An inherent selfishness. If we're being honest, I've watched kids. You don't have to teach kids to be selfish. Am I right, parents? They, one of the first few words they learn is mine. Mine. And uh, you watch the kids and there'll be two or three toys. They're playing, playing, playing. And then another kid comes along, tries to make friends, grabs one of their toy. And they're not even using it. And they just go, mine. And they grab it away. And I think... Without Jesus, not much changes in our life. We're self-preserving. There's, um, I've got the guys, the, the, the captain of the Costa Concordia that bashed into, uh, I think, of Italy somewhere. Uh, the captain, instead of being the, this brave captain, being the last of the ship, which he would have been saved if he just kind of stuck it out. He's like, he, he, he went and literally ran into a boat and was one of the first people off. And he said in his defense, he goes, no, I tripped into the boat. I'm like, whatever. And then someone said, then this other thing, when that didn't work, he says, no, actually someone pushed me. If I remember correctly, someone pushed me. All what was coming in was his sinful nature. It's self-preservation. There's stories of when, when planes crash land. Instead of people going in, in kind of single file order, which it should be, there's people that are fighting. Guys, you know that you've been on a plane for a while, even if it hasn't crash landed. Okay, hopefully no one's been in a crash landing before. But you land... And the moment the seatbelt sign comes up, there's someone that runs from the back and comes and stands right where you need to get out. Am I right? That just happens every time with me. I have little grace in those moments. I just, I, I do one of these, I push them back, and then I just, and I kind of make my space, you know? Um, you, you have to fight for, and again, there's my sinful, I'm self-preservation. I should be like Jesus. Say, God, just go. God, it's fine. 
be like the, the, the older generation who sits there and just waits for everyone to go. I'm like, no. And, uh, and, you, and you just know that there's, and I'm like, there's someone that's come and they push through everyone. I'm like, what is the rush? They're thinking about themselves. Driving. Marriages. Marriages fall apart because of selfishness. Why do men and women have affairs? They're selfish. They want to, they want to please themselves. They're focused on themselves. They want, to, they want to please themselves in the moment. Oh, I'm having a rough time with my wife. I'm going to go find someone new. Guys, we have, that, is, that is the way of this world. And we have to come back and realize, and we cannot change that ourselves through our own effort, through doing good things, through self-help. There's, there's no amount of self-help, even in churches, that can help you with that. It's only Jesus, which I'm going to look at now. Awkward silence. There we go. I was so thirsty there. Um, so the big question that I'm asking today is, what causes a heart to change from self-centeredness to selflessness? It doesn't happen overnight. I wish it did. I wish I automatically became like Jesus once I gave my life. I'm still, there's so much. So, do you know when you have sometimes an honest view of yourself? It's like when you're going to go change in a change room, and there's, there's 360 mirrors, and you think you're doing okay, you know? And then all of a sudden you get the back view. And you're like, I've got a long way to go. And uh, I think sometimes there's, there's points in our life where we like, oh, we get a realistic view of who we are. And we're like, Oof, I don't like that. I don't like the way I spoke to Styler. I, I try to apologize. I'm, I'm generally the first to apologize because I'm generally wrong. Um, but, you know, like there's some moments where I'm like, oh, that was, I don't like that. I didn't like that, that blind spot. That's why we need even people in our lives to point out blind spots. We need, people, we need community, as Starla was talking. We need, um, I mean, my parents would point out blind spots my whole life. Starla's parents pointed out blind spots in her life. Okay, enough now. But it's needed. Those moments where, you, where you're doing stuff that, uh, that is not helpful in, in your life. So what is it? And, I, and it, the simple answer is Jesus. But I'm going to, there's... And if you look at the texture, it says this. It says, And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Read through the book of Acts from 1 to 28, and you'll see that the main thing that the apostles preached was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because without the resurrection, Jesus was a good story. He was a good uh, storyteller. He was a good prophet. He lived well. He may have even operated in healings, all of that kind of thing. But the power comes when Jesus defeated death. And that's the first point. If we want to know what changes a heart from being a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, like it says in Ezekiel, it's Jesus Christ. And it's understanding what he's done for us. Paul writes, and he says, I want to know Christ, yes, to the power of his resurrection and and the participation in his sufferings, uh, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. So I'm going to have a a few points, but I'm only really going to focus on number one. So number one, Jesus defeated death. 1 Corinthians 15.55, I think it will come on on the board. It says, O death, where is your victory? We sung about this this morning. O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I want to read this powerful, powerful scripture. Listen to an incredible sermon uh, this week by a guy called Alan Scott. So a lot of what he said, I've just kind of taken what he said and made it my own. But it was just so powerful and so impacting to me. It says this in Ephesians 4 verse 8. It's an it says, This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives. And in some version it says, He took the captives captive, and he gave gifts to people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions, into death, into hell, into sin? He who descended is the very one ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So we have to look at Jesus not not just on a personal level that he died for your sins, but he actually died on the cross, defeating the enemy. It was a cosmic thing. It was re- when, when man sinned and there was a separation, the, the, the universe went into disarray. The earth went into disarray. Mosquitoes were born, uh, flies, all of that stuff. It just, uh, just like animals used to be able to play with animals, big lions, now they, they want to eat us. There's just absolute disarray. So Jesus comes and he dies on the cross for our sins, but he also dies to reconcile us, the, the earth, and all things back to himself into the right order. And it says at the, at the end of the age, it says the lion is going to sit with the lamb. Normally the lion's going to eat the lamb, but they're going to sit together. And that is an incredible picture for me that we are part of a community that in our little way and big way is, is we are helping make the earth right again. The plan of the Israel people was to bring Eden across the earth again. That's why God was, he took them out of a, this uh, pagan world for 400 years and he had to he had to bring them into uh into line and that's why you look at some of the laws and they were really strong and and they, they, it was almost just to line these people back to him to be a community that fills the earth again i just want to explain the scripture and it says if you look what paul is alluding to here and if we understood roman history is that when the romans used to go defeat a certain part of the world they used to take the captives And they used to come back to Rome and they used to march through Rome with these captives in a train. And and people were cheering and they were saying that the enemy has been defeated. And Paul uses that same picture of what he went and did when 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 he descended into the lower earthly regions and he resurrected to life again. And I can say the only thing that will ever change our hearts is understanding the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're coming up to Easter in about a month and a half time. Let's meditate on that. Let's realize this is not in our own power, not by our own effort, but by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Consider for a moment that Jesus, before eternity, was high above the heavens, seated with the Father, ruling and reigning. It says everything was made through him. He was utterly perfect. And God says, cool, I'm going to set my rescue plan. It says before the creation of the world, God had already had a plan in mind because he knew He's sovereign. He knew that men are going to mess up. And he sends Jesus, and and Jesus starts to descend from heaven. And theologians call this the humiliation of Christ. God, utterly God, and he comes in and he, and he dwells amongst man, and and he sits amongst man, and, and, uh, and and he becomes a baby. And he submits himself to parents, to earthly parents. He submits himself to Herod. We think that we have strange presidents now. Imagine Jesus, the, the God of heaven had to submit himself to Herod, a, a, a terrible man of the day. He was killing babies and stuff. 
And uh, so he comes and he submits himself. And then he grows up and he says, you grew in wisdom and, and in favor with God and with man. And, and even while he was on earth, he's like, if you look at almost this picture of God coming from heaven and he's coming down. And as he's coming down, he becomes man, 100% man, 100% God, lives amongst us, lives the perfect life, dependent on the Holy Spirit, even begins to show his authority over weather, over death. People are raised from the dead. People are healed of sicknesses. Jesus is showing a foretaste of who he is. And then it, then it gets to the point where Jesus is on the cross. And it says that he was marred beyond recognition. You didn't even know if he was a man. Now it doesn't take much imagination to, me, to know that Jesus was naked on the cross, whipped, bled for us. And in that moment, I'm sure the hordes of hell, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that picture of um, the, the lion rich in the wardrobe, where the, where, where the, where the lion is, is, is kind of on, on the rock and, and he's dying. And, and, then, and then all these little like, demons are like scurrying around and they're like, we defeated him. And uh, I don't know how demons talk, but I think it would be something like that. And they have a moment where the, that the, these, the, the, the death and then sin and accusation and all of that, they like... We have, we have killed God. And what they did not realize in that moment, that their victory was actually God bringing judgment upon them. So Jesus died. He, he descends into the lower regions, as it says in the Word. And it says, um, He continued into darkness. The demons of rejection, fear, and shame were crying out, We've defeated the King. We've defeated Aslan. And He goes deeper. And it says here in Colossians 3, uh, 2, um, 2 verse 13, actually let's go 2 verse 15, it says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus goes into hell, and they think, well, God, he's, come to, he's going to come and now reside with us. We've won. And in that moment, they hear the gates of hell begin to shake, and light breaks in. And Jesus goes to the deepest depths. He goes to sickness. He goes to everything wrong, that sin that first Adam caused, and he goes and wins it back. The Bible says that he took back the keys of death and Hades, and he ascends to heaven. That is the God we serve. He has defeated death. There is no dark place in your life that God hasn't been. Some of you think, I've had the worst year in 2016. Jesus, don't tell me I had a bad day. Because Jesus has won victory in that place. We need to remind ourselves of who he is. He defeated death. He defeated sin. Number two, we have a savior who can't die again. He is alive. He forgave us of our sins. It says, if Christ had not been raised, uh, your hope is futile and you're still in your sin. Jesus defeated death and sin. It causes new birth inside of us. This is this this is where we're born again. In, in 1 Peter 1.3, it says, By His great mercy, we have been born anew into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The only thing that will change our hearts if we're talking about generosity is understanding how generous God was. Go read Philippians 2. It says, Although He was in the very nature of God, He did not consider quality, equality with God something to be grasped, yet made Himself nothing, finding Himself in the likeness of a human. He went and died on the cross, and it says that Jesus exalted him to the highest place. So if the Father exalted him to the highest place, can we all stand? Mario, would you mind coming up? The power of the gospel is that we are born again. That our desires that we had before Jesus change when we look at who he is 
and the light of his face. So can we pray together? Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace upon us. Lord Jesus, we just, we read the scripture and we see that it says that with great, with, uh, the, with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Father, today we have spoken, I've spoken about your resurrection, your power to save. God-man who, who came, died on the cross in our place. Let your word just sink into our hearts this morning. Your word says that you took captives captive. Whatever you're facing this morning, Jesus has defeated it. We either believe the scripture to be true or we don't. Let's not let our experience or lack of experience dictate what we actually believe.